Welcome to Canada's podcast. Today, we're going to meet Gregory Losdeba um, of Dundas Life. Uh, uh, it claims to provide the easiest way to buy life insurance online in Canada. And the insurance business we've interviewed a few people on is certainly changing. So uh, uh, I'll really be interested to find out uh, how uh, Greg is, uh, is helping kind of facilitate change. Greg, welcome to Canada's podcast. Um, it's kind of interesting. You're sitting in Texas, and I'm sitting in, in good old Stony Creek, you know, GTHA. Um, but uh, why don't you do what I always ask people to do? Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do. You know, just just a quick two to two to four minute. Uh, you know, I'm Greg Rosdipa, basically. Sure. Uh, It's funny. We spoke for a minute or two before before we started recording. And I guess uh, a good chunk of my life was tied originally in Oshawa. Uh, So I was born and raised there. Um, My parents were both immigrants, uh, both worked at GM at one point or another. Um, And I guess I had such a hard time leaving that I ended up going to university there as well. Uh, You saw that in in your background, yeah. Yeah. It was it was a bit different. I didn't really expect to go to a university that was ten years old. I mean, uh, at the time, it struck me as a bit fresh, uh-huh. uh, but it turned out to be it turned out to be a very good experience. Uh, mm-hmm. So I did a finance and accountancy degree there, and that was before uh, I guess I began a foray into te- technology sales. So I went over to Hewlett Packard for a bit, moved into Toronto, uh, got intimately acquainted with the public transit system, and uh, after that somehow ended up in the insurance world. One thing led to another and we ended up kicking off uh, Dundas life here. But uh, uh, the transition has been very interesting. I, I think as, as the GTA goes, you know, I, uh, I was born in Oshawa uh, in, uh, you know, now I've been in Toronto for a good few years. Uh, I used to travel to Kitchener to go visit the girlfriend rather often. So uh, yeah, I've been here, there and everywhere in the GTA for, for, I guess, for the last decade or so. So, you know, um, what made you become an entrepreneur? You mean did finance accounting? Why didn't you go and be a CPA or something like that? Because that's that's sort of what what you think of the next step for that kind of thing. Well, it's interesting because uh, I, when I was looking at that route initially, uh, high finance was the trajectory. But then I realized I'm really not cut out to sit in front of you know spreadsheets and PowerPoint presentations for 12, 14 hours a day. Uh, so I ended up taking a step back from that. And I thought, you know, where can I kind of apply you know, the financial savvy, but apply it within a sales context. Uh, so I ended up moving away from the financial space and going into tech, I guess one, one variety of tech. I went into in going to HP, you know, there was the hardware, there's a software component. So it was a very good introduction into that world that I don't think I could have gotten anywhere else because mm-hmm. it wasn't just a matter of, Hey, here's a course. Learn about this stuff. It was, hey, here's a course. Sell this next week. Uh, so it, it was really easy to get intimately familiar with, you know, how technology works at all these different firms, and uh, you know what I really needed to learn in the process. Uh, but yeah, I preferred working with people, and I think you still do that within the uh, within the financial space, like whether you go the accounting route or the high finance route. Um, mm-hmm. But the work itself, I thought. Could I do it? Probably. Would I be great at it? Probably not, uh, which was a very humbling moment of self-awareness. Um, and that's how I ended up more in the sales world than I guess now in the insure tech space. Okay. 
why ins- why insure tech? You know, why why there? You know, um, uh, I mean, you know, why not stay in technology? You know, I mean, it's it's a pretty exciting space. It's it. I mean, there, there, I guess there was just the problem that needed to be solved, and insurance happened to be the area that you know had the biggest problem. Uh, initially, when I when I got into the space, uh, a, a good friend of mine, Jonathan Bega, he ended up explaining you know, what's going on in insurance. I, I didn't believe him at the time. He was telling me that you know most of the business is still done on paper. Whatever software there is, it's oftentimes fragmented, and if you're a financial advisor. There's so many different tools and the, you know different forms you need to be familiar with, and it's completely disjointed. And he was asking me, you know, have you bought a life insurance policy before? And I told him, no. I mean, I wasn't really at that time in my life where I needed one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, like, do you know how to get one? I told him, well, yeah, I just go online, go to one of those websites. You know, I give them my birthday, tell them I don't smoke, and tell them I'm generally healthy, and they'll give me a price. I'll fill out a form. Thanks for coming out. And he's like, no, not even close. Uh, you know, you oftentimes you meet with a broker, you have to get familiar with what the right product might be with the right company. You have to go through the underwriting process and there could be additional forms that you need to fill out. And I thought, uh, this is, this seems to be a data flow problem. So, um, you know, worked in that space to really figure out how to really simplify that. But it's, it's interesting to see in this industry, like how much disjointment there is and who's responsible for what. Uh, because I feel like in Canada in particular, a lot does fall on the broker, the financial advisor, or the agent, uh, which, whichever one you are. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, ev- everyone's trying to, you know, do their bit, but not take on too much. And I feel like that's created some, uh, some process issues in the industry that I think need resolving. Yeah, I mean, we, as we were saying earlier, I mean, I've interviewed a few fintech people, a few ins- insurance fintech people. I mean, you know, for the, for the, outsider what's happening there exactly i mean uh what's the big deal you know i i think that in insurance in particular uh, because it's a highly regulated industry it's somewhat insulated from external threats you don't really see american insurance firms coming here you know kicking something off starting off with a good software and just making everything work very easily it's not very common uh, but the industry itself i mean Canadians need insurance within one capacity or another. How they get it is a different story. So historically, I mean, if you have, uh, if you're a financial advisor, even like a small town financial advisor, you could be doing very well for yourself, uh, as well as their administrator, their managing general agency, and the insurance companies. I mean, financially across the board, everyone in the last 10, 20 years has been doing, they've been doing pretty well, all things considered. Uh, so there hasn't really been a push to modernize. I mean, even during the pandemic, we we're seeing insurance companies that were just releasing e-signature uh, to independent brokers. This is a technology that's been around for 25 years. So I think because you know the industry has been working, uh, it, I mean, financially it works. Like it's a good industry in that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there hasn't been a lot of external threat. I, I think it's been slow to modernize compared to other industries, even banking. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what do you see as the future of, of, of your business then? I mean, uh, you know, the, is, is it, are we going to see names change, companies change, you know, the Sun Lives, the, the Manual Lives, the things like that, or are they, are they rooted forever kind of thing? They'll love to hear this. I think they're rooted forever. Uh, and I think the reason is it takes so much capital. 
to start. And I think the, the problems aren't, uh, I don't think they're so deep that they can't be fixed. I think it's just some technology issues that would need to be resolved. So mm-hmm. it doesn't strike me as anything that would require the uprooting of an entire firm. I think gradually a lot of these improvements will take place, but gradually. Uh, though I think looking at the industry, I think fundamentally it's not going to change. I think a lot of the transactions are still going to take place through a broker. And the, excuse me, the back office system, I think will be pretty efficient going forward or will get more efficient. Mm-hmm. Who does that? I don't know. Could it be the insurance companies? Maybe. Could it be the managing general agencies? But could be, should be. Uh, could it be some external insure tech? For sure. Uh, I don't know who's going to implement it. I think everyone kind of understands what the problems are from an administrative standpoint. Uh, it's just going to come down to, you know, who's going to fix it first, who's going to fix it best, and who's going to get it in the hands of brokers and insurance companies. So, you know, let's move on to some challenges that, you know, you've been building down that life. Um, what's the biggest challenge you faced in, in the business today? Oh, it's fun. I think um, we decided to bootstrap the entire effort. Uh, and it came at a very interesting time because, um, you know, on the day-to-day, things are usually busy. You know, you, like even when you're working, you, have, you know, you, you want to go visit family as often as you can. You want to go hang out with your friends as often as you can. The workload just keeps piling up regardless of where you are. Uh, but I think when it came to that sort of pace, the pandemic really changed things. Uh, it did for me. Uh, everything slowed down in a sense. You know, there's, there's no social life. Uh, you know, there's no sales calls that had to go on in person. So all that travel time got cut out and I was sitting at home in a 500 square foot apartment uh, with, you know, at least on weekends, evenings and weekends, like a lot of time freed up that I didn't otherwise have previously. And, you know, when you have a little bit of time, you start thinking about things and start, you know, doing things. And, um, you know, that's kind of how we kicked off the effort here. Uh, But the pandemic, I think, turned out to be a good thing in that sense, because, uh, I didn't really anticipate going this route initially, uh, but because you know, the, the opportunity kind of presented itself and the right people were available, we decided to kick it off. By early days, especially with bootstrapping it, uh, the focus was always, you know, how do we provide the right service at the right price to as many people as possible? Like, how do we get this thing to a point where it's profitable? And oh boy, that can be a stressful few months. Uh, luckily, we got to that point here. Uh, but the first few months was like, you're, you're almost, you're looking at the next month and you're thinking, I need, like, we need to position this much product to our client or prospective clients as they roll in, in order to survive. And that kind of pressure is pretty immense. What, what would you say, you're talking about bootstrapping, is that the best way? I mean, what would you say to, you know, people thinking about starting out in business? I mean, uh, what, what advice would you give them? Just sell something. I mean, it's, it doesn't have to be that complicated. And I think uh, I would even see things on Twitter or Reddit where people would talk about just setting up a power washing business on weekends. You know, springtime rolls around, people need things power washed. I mean, uh, all you have to do is really get like a $100, $200 power washer and start knocking on doors. For a lot of like people have problems. You can ask them what their problems are. They'll tell you who's going to mow the lawn, who's going to do yard work, who's going to do their taxes. You know, how do they, you know, fix the change their oil in a timely manner? Like everyone has some sort of problem. If you can fix that problem and sell them the solution, I mean, ultimately that's all business is. Even if it's a small, like I mean, even your neighborhood uh, newspaper person. I mean, if if they're you know some ten year old 
running around delivering papers. A lot of these newspaper companies make them collect payment as well. And you learn a lot of skills that way. You deliver a service, you learn how to collect your accounts receivable, you learn how to track those accounts receivable. And oftentimes this is all done on pen and paper. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, looking at it from like, you know, once you get a few years under your belt and you hit adulthood, I mean, you can still do a lot of these things. It's, it's not easy, um, but these things are all out there. And I think in kicking something like this off, ultimately, like in any business, uh, making the first sale is probably the most important bit. And then figuring out everything after is, I guess, uh, the logical next step. You know, on that front, I mean, in terms of mentoring, I mean, what's the best piece of advice you've received on your journey to date? I, I was chatting with, it was a university professor uh, back at UOIT, or I guess on tech U now. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was a sales professor, which I thought was very bizarre. It's like, can you really teach this stuff? But, uh, you know, she had a really interesting career in like network sales back in like the 80s and 90s, like the mm-hmm. real boom mm-hmm. days there. And uh, what she told me was, you know, if, if a good process is in place, from like, especially from a sales standpoint, everything else will come together. If you're very quick at identifying and solving a problem and you turn that into a process and you do it well and you stick to it, everything will be okay. And I think initially when people look at any sort of sales career or if they look at going into entrepreneurship, uh, at first, it's a bit of a wild scramble. What should I do next? What do I need to get in front of right away? You know, what are my priorities? Then I think it can be overwhelming at times. But if there's a decent process in place, I think to an extent you have to trust it and just, and just put the work in. Because uh, at the end of the day, you know, a lot of people have a similar problem. A lot of people need life insurance. A lot of people need a newspaper delivered. A lot of people need to have their driveways or their siding power washed. It's just a matter of figuring out what's the easiest way of getting there and servicing these clients. Well, let's have some fun questions a little bit. Sure. Are you a morning or a night person? Uh, I want to be a morning person. I'm failing miserably. <laughs> uh, so you're, you're a night person, you think? It, it's hard to say. You know, like uh, this morning was a tough one. I was up at, I was up at 6.30, which isn't yeah. a normal time for me. Yeah. I mean, it, I feel like those extra two hour or extra hour, two hours of sleep, depending on the day, they really go a long way. Yeah. I, I don't mind staying up, uh, but I feel like as I get older, those first few hours in the day are super important. You have a little bit of calm. You can go do whatever you want. You know, no one's messaging you or bothering you, but um, yeah, I aspire to be a morning person. I'm just not there today. What book are you reading? I mean, books, listening to, I mean, you know, it's audible. It's- I mean, you know, we don't all read all the time kind of thing. Yeah, that's that's a good question. So there is um, uh, there's a couple of books I usually have on the go. So one's a little less, um, you know, business oriented. One's a little more business oriented. It, it, it's, a, it's, it's all relative. It just depends on uh, the mood I'm in. So I've, I told myself I'd do something monumental. Uh, so I've been reading the complete essays of Montaigne. So I'm about ten percent <laughs> in. Monumental, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's it's a, it, in the last four months, the amount of hours I've sunk into that book is incredible, and I'm only like a tenth done. Um, it's it's been good, and it flows very well, which uh, which I'm very thankful for because it's been. If if it wasn't, I think this would be more of a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also rereading. It's a Toronto author, actually, on the business side of things. So his name is Dave Primer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sell the way you buy. 
It's a really good book. And I hate sales books. I think a lot of them are just nonsense, Mm -hmm. Uh, but there is a couple that are quite good. I think this one in particular is very good because it really humanizes the interaction between people. And I think, I mean, the title alone, I think is a good, it's a good guidance for anyone looking to get started in sales. If you want to sell something, think of yourself as the customer. What are you looking for? What do you want? What problem are you looking to get solved? Um, So I kind of vacillate between the two. If I'm all uh, sales booked out, I'll jump into Montaigne, but um, I can't wait to finish one of them so I can jump into something, you know, a little bit lighter. This has been, this has been a very heavy month and a half. If you had to pick one word to describe yourself, what would it be and why? (sighs) Oh, geez. That is a heavy question. One word to describe myself. Um, I think it took a while, but I think I'm getting balanced. I think I finally figured it out a little bit. Uh, you know, spending an hour or two in the evening, relaxing, doing nothing, you know, taking one day, one entire day off, sometimes one and a half, just to relax and do nothing. I think this is, this is a very big conversation in the business world now, specifically where everyone's like, you know, how do you find a balance? And then other people are like, there is no balance. Your balance is whatever the, whatever the customer wants. Um, but it hasn't been that bad. I think I went from, you know, working all the time to, yeah, I'm going to hang out a little bit. I'm going to see, you know, it's like, if you need to take a Tuesday evening off, you take a Tuesday evening off, you hang out. And I think at first, I think it was, again, oh, it was a lot of work, but now I think uh, there's still a lot of work, but I think I'm enjoying it a little bit more than I did before. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, that kind of goes with kicking off a firm and, you know, you're dealing with these existential crises almost within the firm to keep the thing going. Uh, mm-hmm. But now that we're on more solid footing, I think things have really balanced themselves out. Good. I mean, you know, with, with all, you know, what would you say is the greatest change in the business in the last two years? I mean, I'm, I'm interested. You're you're in the insurance side. I'm interested, you know, to know what's 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 the monumental change that's happened because there's been there's so many businesses like that, you know, in the last twenty four months. Well, I think like having been in the insurance industry for what's it been now, like uh, almost seven years, mm-hmm. uh, the big change with COVID in particular is it really brought to light, you know, the importance of tools like life insurance. When you're hearing about people dying worldwide from a disease that excuse me, very few people understand at the time, life insurance becomes such a, is such an important tool because then people start thinking, you know, what happens if this happens, you know, what happens if I die and my family's left with a financial burden. And that was like, especially at the beginning of the pandemic when no one really knew what was going on. And I include governments and, you know, health departments across the planet. When people were really getting their footing, that uncertainty, it really brought to light. Well, not like, I think people knew from a financial standpoint, it's like, okay, you know, the, I might be out of work for a while. This is not good. Uh, but I think it also brought into light, you know, how do I, how do I save my family from potential catastrophe and, and any financial plan insurance fills that. I think that was the big push. I think the other big push is technology uh, because before the pandemic, again, everything was done on paper. And then you, I think when the pandemic hit, we saw a lot of goodwill efforts on behalf of the insurance companies reaching out to brokers saying, you know, what can we do better? How can we make this simpler? Because again, like uh, the industry has been operating pretty well off paper for the last however many years, if not hundreds of years. Um, but I think the pandemic was unique in the sense that, you know, you can't show up to someone's house. You can't talk to them and their family, have a coffee at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you need to do it digitally. There really was no reasonable alternative at the time. To the extent that uh, in the early days, I was chatting with a broker friend and they were telling me that one of their clients really needed, um, like, I think it was a mutual fund. It was this one specific mutual fund that they needed to get into, but it was, uh, it was important. And they were telling me that they needed a physical signature from their client to get everything moving. So again, in the middle of the pandemic, showed up with a face mask. And again, this is before anyone really knew what was going on. And, uh, you know, had the gloves on and everything. And then literally put the, you know, held up the paperwork. The client signed off on it. And he took it back to the office. And I thought, this is ridiculous. Uh, like, I mean, for one, it was March. So it was freezing out. But for two, you know, he's standing out there in a mask and gloves, holding out physical paperwork for, for his client to sign. And I thought, this is like... This, this is not good. Like this specific example is not good on many fronts and, uh, you know, something should be done to fix it. And to the credit of a lot of insurance companies, they've been making big strides in the last two, three years to, uh, you know, to help mitigate some of that kind of damage, that kind of process damage. Great. And we're coming to the end. I'm looking at my little thing there and I've hit my, hit, we've hit our, our, our time limit. <laughs> uh, it's been really good, actually. I really enjoyed it. Um, if there's some questions, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, sure. The easiest way is usually on LinkedIn. So if they uh, look me up at Gregory Razdiba on LinkedIn, they can find me there. Uh, or if they prefer, uh, I'm available on, at dundaslife.com. So uh, if someone's looking for a life insurance quote, if someone has any general questions, um, if, uh, if, if you ask specifically for me, it'll find its way to me and I'll personally respond for sure. Okay, Greg, great meeting you. Thanks for coming on Canada's podcast. Thanks for having me, Philip. This has been great.